Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Payday loans are fast and convenient, but they are pricier than most other options. When Native people use payday lenders, they're using an industry that disproportionately targets and victimizes people of color. New Mexico is the most recent state to add protections against payday loans, but the best protection is knowing what your alternatives are when you need financial help fast. We have some ideas for you coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. After a years-long battle, Congress updated and enhanced the Federal Violence Against Women Act. But many tribes are still wondering if they'll see funding for its new provisions. Matt Laszlo has a story from Washington. Under the updated Violence Against Women Act, which President Biden signed into law last year, tribes are finally allowed to prosecute non-natives who abuse Native women in Indian country. But many tribes are asking... Where's the money? Frank Starr's come out as president of the Agala Sioux Tribe of South Dakota. We lack a uh, police force, law enforcement, uh, resources uh, on our reservation. Yeah. Due to a lack of funding. Uh, so they changed the law, but they didn't give you the money to implement the law. Well, we haven't seen anything yet, uh, not that I know of. So. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren wants to change that. She's pushing the Honoring Promises to Native Nations Act. The bill has five titles aimed at what Warren says are five broken promises made by the U.S. government. Throughout the bill, we prioritized full funding for federal Native programs. No more shortfalls. And the bill ensures that the funding going to Indian country is mandatory. Fulfilling trust and treaty obligations is not optional. The first title, or section, of Warren's measure is focused on criminal justice and public safety. And it's mirrored off the special tribal jurisdiction included in the new Violence Against Women Act. Part of that section would fund tribal justice systems, if tribes want them. It would also increase funding for sexual assault victims in Indian country. Warren says it's long overdue. Although this bill won't become law immediately, I think it's crucial for Congress to have legislation that says unequivocally the United States has broken its promises and the United States must start making good on them. For National Native News, I'm Matt Laszlo in Washington. Matriarchs of the Occupation of Wounded Knee were honored as events marked the 50th anniversary. Monday marked 50 years since the beginning of a 71-day occupation of Wounded Knee on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota by members of the American Indian Movement to draw attention to broken government promises and the fight for American Indian rights. Some of the women who were there shared memories during a panel discussion over the weekend, which was live-streamed and hosted by the Warrior Women Project. Madonna Thunderhawk says, she was in her 30s during that time and recalls how the event put Native issues in the spotlight. I mean, every, every one of our nations was represented. And that, that's, again, I felt that, uh, you know, you know, we're not alone. You know, it's just locally, nationally, and internationally. Because after Wounded Knee, that's what 
the elders told us, you know, we, we've got the world's attention, we need to go further. Thunderhawk, who says she's now an elder, has continued her advocacy, including her time at Standing Rock, opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline. When I became an elder, I saw that that was the responsibility to show up and you don't have to say anything. You don't have to be on the mic. You know, you just show up so those young people know you have their back. The event honoring women was held on the Pine Ridge Reservation and provided an opportunity for story sharing and featured an oral history exhibit with Wounded Knee Matriarchs. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Early bird registration closes February 25th at tribalselfgov.org. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A payday loan can be appealing to a cash-strapped consumer who needs to make a car payment, buy groceries, or pay a light bill. But such loans have very high interest rates. At best, borrowers pay a lot more than they would at a bank or with a credit card. At worst, people who use payday loans can get caught in a cycle of debt that is nearly impossible to pay off. And there's evidence that the businesses target Native Americans and other people of color even some tribes find the highly lucrative industry hard to resist and partner with outside payday loan giants and use their sovereignty to skirt state lending laws. There is relief in states such as New Mexico, where a new law caps payday interest rates. Advocates for the law count six times as many payday loan shops per resident than McDonald's restaurants, more than half of which are located within 10 miles of tribal lands. Today we'll talk with people who helped pass New Mexico's predatory lending law and others about the dangers of payday loans. We'll also discuss alternatives to high-cost predatory financial products. Join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Santa Fe, New Mexico is Atza Don Chavez. She is the executive director of NM Native Vote. She is Dene and Kiwa Pueblo. Atza, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Also joining us from Santa Fe is Christina Fisher. She is the associate director at Think New Mexico. Welcome to Native America Calling, Christina. Thanks for including me today, Sean. And joining us from Eagle Butte, South Dakota, is Kristen Stambaugh. She is the Director of Lending at Four Bands Community Fund. Kristen, welcome to Native America Calling. Great to be here, Sean. Atza, I'd like to go ahead and start with you today. New Mexico hasn't had an installment loan interest limit for 40 years. What changed? Why push this cap? 
You know, prior to 2017, as you mentioned, New Mexico had no cap on payday lending or small lenders. But in 2017, a bill passed which outlawed um, payday loans in practice um, from pulling money directly from banking accounts and also put an interest rate cap at 105% initially. Interesting. Okay, so, you know, tell us more about just the issue here. These loans, uh, payday, they come under different names. You hear predatory loan, you hear payday loan, you hear like car title loans. Um, tell us a little bit more. I mean, how are these loans or, or how were they structured and what makes them just so, so dangerous for consumers to, to borrow using these types of financial products? Well, there's a couple of things, you know, um, in New Mexico, small lenders outnumbered McDonald's. Um, uh, we have 561 of them here, um, one for roughly every 4,000 people. And 60% of all of these um, small lending storefronts are within 10 to 15 miles of tribal boundaries. So these companies are really making obvious attempts to target Native people, working families, um, folks struggling, and young Native folks. Um, we really recognized this about five years ago um, where we started to hear um, uh, from our community. Really, a lot of their stories telling us how they've been really struggling. We've heard from uh, grandmothers who lost, um, you know, their sheep, their heirloom jewelry, their, their um, vehicles. So we recognized that this was something that was really prevalent around our communities and really wanting to do something to help um, help out our communities, help uplift them out of this cycle of debt. And, you know, I, I, you mentioned, you know, going back 2017, this law that, you know, essentially kind of outlawed payday lending businesses. But I, I know this push has been going on for a long time. It, it dates back more than a decade. And, and why did it take so long? And why was it so hard to get this law passed uh, just last year? We... Um... <laughs> we had a lot of um, convincing to do. We had a lot of pushback from these lenders. Um, about 85% of them don't live um, in the state. So they were actually draining capital away from the Mexicans. Um, we had a lot of advocates who were worried about some of our borrowers being able to attain any of these loans if we put larger restrictions on folks. But like in the McKinney County alone, they had, um, which has about 71,000 people living in it. In 2022, McKinley generated just about 69,600 and so loans. So we almost had a one-to-one -one person um, to loan ratio. So we were really starting to hear from our, a lot of communities and it took a lot of effort from tribal leaders and uh, native advocates to really put this forward. Uh, we worked with the coalition to really address the needs and we worked with a number of lenders to really convince um, New Mexicans legislators that this was something that was really needed for our communities. And we just kept at it year after year after year um, until we were able to pass something that made sense. You know, we got 175% cap in 2017, but that's still so much. 30% is still a lot. That's a really high interest rate credit card. Um, but that was where we were able to get um, efforts and, and folks to agree on. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because 36%, that, that is still high when you compare to other types of installment loans, even car loans, even for people that don't have great credit, they're still not going to pay probably that much for even a car loan. So, uh, you know, projecting ahead, how do you envision this law really helping some of these families that, uh, again, might be cutting it pretty close from month to month, just uh, paying bills and, and other living expenses? Well, you, when you consider that there was no cap, having a cap is definitely better than nothing. When you consider 30%, 6% versus 175%, if you, if you put that math into order, if you took out a $1,000 loan over a year, um, your total cost would probably be 2750 So um, that's near $3,000 for borrowing $1,000. So 36% is um, higher than some of the credit cards. But for some of our community members who um, do not have access to that type of credit, this is a much, much better solution than 175% or no limit would ever be. Atsa, do you have any data with regard to how many loans were written at that high cap of 175%? Um, well, in 2020, um, our, the small lenders charged nearly $100 million in interest alone. So we're not even talking about the principal that was paid. We're just talking about interest that was charged to these folks. Um, and I think 26% of borrowers, um, when it time, comes time to pay their loans, one of the reasons why they're considered predatory loans is they would be talked into refinancing and extending that credit. So, you know, oh, don't pay that $175 now, you know, just extend it another month. And so what it, that basically was doing was resetting that debt and it allowed lenders to artificially charge higher than 175%. Um, and, you know, in 2017, when they were able to make sure that it couldn't be, come directly out of a bank account, that helped a lot of our folks because if you think about it, they pull the money out of the account, you don't have the money go into arrears. You get additional charges from the bank and then you might have to even close that account um, just so that you're not um, continuously bleeding. So our communities need some sort of solution, but this will at least help that we're not taking everything away from them because that was literally what was happening. We heard from so many families having to take money out for COVID deaths, um, medical needs, all of these emergencies that come into our lives, um, but even paying that 175% rate was just so much. It just made sure that our communities continued in that cycle of debt. And this is not something that you can say, hey, you know, let me wait, give me a few more days. No, they collect that money immediately. And that really was what was um, creating so much pressure for so many of our community members. Uh, so you mentioned uh, that previous law that uh, made it uh, so that the money that these payments couldn't be pulled directly out of a bank account. So how does it work now? Uh, so the, the accounts are, it's no longer like an auto draft from a bank account. How do people actually make those payments? Um, it varies uh, at whichever storefront you go to. There's a number of different options that, that people um, have to go through um, to figure out how they do that. I haven't um, visited one since the law has passed earlier this year. Um, we've been at the legislative session, but um, we did have a number of conversations with the um, coalition that we kind of created 
um, to figure out what made sense um, for banks to and lenders to show like they still had um, the ability to collect the money, but to create policies that were much more friendly to the borrowers. Uh, this law that was passed just last year, capping uh, interest rates in New Mexico for installment loans at 36%, 36%. So uh, still high, but uh, not nearly as high as the old cap of 175%. And Asta, you mentioned that in 2020, these small loan shops uh, racked up just o over $100 million just in interest uh, fees alone, not including the principal. So it, it gives us a snapshot of just how large this industry really is or was. Um, listening to Atza Don Chavez with uh, NM Native Vote. When we come back from break uh, here in just a moment, we're going to talk with Christina Fisher with the associate. Uh, she is the associate director at Think New Mexico. We're going to learn a little bit more about uh, this industry, and we're also going to learn about the economic impacts uh, of these businesses and uh, what's going to happen next with so many of these payday businesses operating in New Mexico. Uh, will it be uh, a, a blow economically to some of these communities uh, that these businesses are no longer running or are running in a much more limited fashion, or will it be uh, more beneficial to consumers and an overall uh, a net gain for communities and uh, their local economies? So we're going to talk more coming up after this break. And if you have anything to add to this conversation about payday loans or predatory financial products, if you've ever been a customer of a payday loan shop or thought about going into a payday loan shop, we'd really like to hear from you today. 1-800-996-2848. Uh, That's the number again. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Larry Casus was a Navajo college student who grew frustrated over an action surrounding a business that was hurting his people. His frustration boiled over into a desperate act that came to a head on this day 50 years ago. We'll learn about him and the reverberations of his activism that continue on the next Native America Calling. Yate, Think Teeth, Medicaid, and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider, visit insuredkidsnow.gov, or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Akeha. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're learning about alternatives to storefront payday loan businesses. New Mexico just capped the interest rate of installment loans at 36%. That's a huge drop from the previous maximum of 175%, and that's been the case for the past 40 years. Are you a payday loan borrower? Have you ever thought about taking out a payday loan? We invite you to share your experience by calling in today at 1-800-996-2848. You're welcome to speak anonymously. If you feel more comfortable, that's no problem at all. Just call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's uh, bring in our next guest now, Christina Fisher with Think New Mexico. Christina, as we're learning today, New Mexico hadn't had an interest limit cap for 40 years. 
Uh, is that common for other states? And what are uh, typical rate caps like elsewhere in the U.S.? Sure. So it's actually a really interesting little piece of history. We did a, a report a few years ago on sort of the history of predatory lending, and we call it predatory for all the reasons that, that you and Atsa were laying out. Um, but essentially, it's it's been more than a century's fight. Um, back in the early 1900s, these businesses were called loan sharks. And through the through the years, states fought to, to put interest rate caps on. And New Mexico actually put a 36% interest rate cap on in the late 1950s, and it worked really, really well. And then in the early 1980s, you had this big sort of deregulatory push. You had high interest rates that were pushing up, um, uh, you know, high inflation. And so there was a push across the country to just get rid of uh, what were called the usury laws or the interest rate caps. And New Mexico, like many states, uh, rolled its back. So about 1983, we went from having a 36% interest rate cap uh, to having no cap at all, as, as Otso was saying. So we had just un, unlimited interest rates um, right up until 2017. And what you saw was that that um, high interest rate loan industry just kind of flooded in. So everywhere that, that rolled their rates back and New Mexico went from having a couple dozen storefront type lending shops to having hundreds, um, you know, within a few years. And so we've seen then a very long and painful process of states trying to put rates back. Um, and there was a big breakthrough in 2006 when the federal government implemented the Military Lending Act and essentially said for any lender lending to military families, you cannot charge more than 36% to those um, service members and their families. And that kind of helped states um, start a trend of enacting their own 36% interest rate caps. Now you, Christina, with Think New Mexico and Atsa with uh, NM Native Vote, you both worked with, um, you know, you led the charge, helped lead the charge with this law. And was that the goal, 36%? Were you actually shooting lower than that? What what made you settle on that number, 36%? 36% is kind of the, the best practices number. And as you say, it's it's not exactly a low rate. Um, you could actually get, get better rates um, with, with credit cards and with other types of loans. Um, what it is is it's kind of a balance where um, it gives borrowers a fair shot at being able to pay it off. Um, again, as Asa was saying, you know, when you're having to pay almost three times what you took out, you're just never going to catch up with that. 36% is is a rate that um, that many people can at least keep up with, um, and it's a high enough rate that these, um, you know, some of the the small lenders are able to offer loans at that rate. So it keeps some of them in business and keeps that available while making it so that borrowers can afford to to pay back those loans. And that's interesting to point out, keep them in business, because um, like we, we, we mentioned earlier, in McKinley County, specifically, I'm thinking Gallup, New Mexico, a, a lot of those businesses uh, have been there for, for many years, and they're very well connected in the community. And what's going to happen now going forward? I mean, do you, you predict a lot of those businesses will fail? Will they change their business models? And what will be the impact there in communities like that, which have such a large presence of these loan businesses and, and generate a lot of a lot of income and a lot of, a lot of tax dollars probably? Oh, I think it's going to be a real mix. So when we looked at other states, as I said, you know, New Mexico is not the first to enact the 36% interest rate. So we have sort of some models to look at. Um, what you see is there are some of these companies that only depend on triple-digit interest rates. If they can't charge more than 100% interest, they're not going to stay open. So you will see some closures. Um, but there are other lenders that uh, can and do stay in business um, offering 36% interest rates. So you're going to see a real mix where you'll see some closures and you'll see some sort of pivot and, and offer um, loans at those lower rates. 
Um, as, as Asa was saying earlier, most of these companies are not based in New Mexico. About 85% are based out of state. So uh, we, we see it as kind of a, a reverse economic development having these lenders here because they're um, taking a lot of resources out of local communities and they're sending it to their out-of-state headquarters. And so if we see these lenders replaced uh, by local businesses, that's actually a net positive for the economy. And you mentioned these many of these businesses, 85% are located out of state. And that brings up this other issue. And I, I want to go back to Atsa because Atsa, we, we have tribes that are also getting into the, the payday loan businesses. Um, tribes have lost class action lawsuits for being involved in, in these enterprises. And uh, some of them have especially egregious interest rates, uh, as much as 540%, according to court documents. And these are tribal nations that are you know taking the other side of these loans um, what's your thought on that, Atsa? I mean, are, are these good businesses for tribes to be engaged in? What's your What's your thought? I would say the you know first of all, um, these are sovereign nations, so their what their choices for their communities is you know uh, their sovereign right to do. But I do feel that um, because of the need to diversify a lot of these economies, that some of these communities are being approached by um, some of these other small loan lenders that are trying to make a deal. They're trying to they're trying to skirt some of the laws to um, use uh, tribal sovereignty and the ability to have laws that. Um, are different from some of these states to um, continue their loan practices. So, you know, tribes have the right to figure out how they diversify their economies. But I think that um, unknowingly, some of them are not of aware or as aware of some of the state laws. And, and, and um, when someone approaches you and says, hey, here's an opportunity, um, we need to have folks to be able to vet those for our communities um, so that we're not harming um, our communities or outside communities, especially when we do these in um, online, online versions, um, because as long as they have uh, property on a sovereign uh, land, then they have uh, the ability to abide to different laws. So we kind of have to be able to protect our sovereign nations and let them uh, make sure that they're aware of some of these folks coming after them and asking to have these types of deals. Um, because in the end, I don't think that it's beneficial for our communities and our working families who have to, um, at some times, use these as emergency loans. Now, Christina, the days of just actually having to, to drive to one of these businesses and walk in and fill out a loan application, I mean, now you can do a lot of this stuff online. Um, how is this law going to be regulated with regard to somebody who takes out a New Mexican resident who goes online and, and gets a payday loan over the internet? Um, so we're going to probably need to see some enforcement from the New Mexico Attorney General. Um, we saw around 2010 Montana enacted its 36% interest rate uh, cap, and it did have sort of a bit of a surge of complaints of people saying, you know, I, I took out a loan that didn't comply with that, and the Attorney General had to crack down and do some enforcement actions. And then that sort of um, dissipated and you saw um, folks come into compliance with the law. So it wouldn't surprise me if there were a need for some enforcement actions in this first, you know, year or so of, of the new law. Um, uh, but, you know, the good news is there are there are more and more options for people to go 
Um, and I know we're going to hear from, from uh, some in South Dakota, but we also want to put a plug in for the 142 locations of New Mexico's credit unions, um, which are uh, fairly easy to sign up for, very user-friendly, and, and they um, offer these, um, frankly, lower than 36% small loans to folks. Well, I'm glad you mentioned credit unions because a common argument I hear, Christina, is like, you know, hey, just go to a bank or a credit union for a loan instead of one of these businesses. You know, you'll get a much better deal. But but is it just that simple for folks just going to a bank or credit union? I I don't want to speak on behalf of the banks as much, but the the credit unions, what's interesting when you think about their name, they actually, as an industry, came about um, as a response to the the loan sharking again almost a century ago. They were... uh, um, intended to be a source of affordable credit, and they were a good part of the coalition that that um, that Asa's group and my group were a part of, in terms of pushing this 36% law. and And they are actively hoping that they will get more folks signing up with them. Um, they are not um, looking for for people to have good credit scores or anything like that. They are trying to to get people into a place where they can start saving and access affordable credit and all of those things. So they really are uh, trying to be that that open door. I want to pivot now to our third guest, Kristen Stambaugh. She is Director of Lending at Four Bands Community Fund up in South Dakota. And Kristen, tell us, what's the regulatory environment for installment loans in South Dakota? Does the state have a rate cap as well? Yes. In 2016, the state passed a rate cap at 36%. Um, and since then, I mean, we've really, well, Four Bands is a CDFI, and we offer um credit building loans where we help people refinance any high interest rate debt in an effort to build their credit and get them, you know, up on their feet. And uh, in prior to 2016, we would see, you know, a ton of these coming through to refinance because they, you know, consumers, they just couldn't get out of this cycle of payday lending that they had gotten themselves into. Um, so now, I mean, rarely those, the fintech, some of the, the online have been popping up recently, I've noticed, but Really, but I mean, it just, I think that they've all closed and, and our consumers were driving over two hours away to go get a payday loan and leaving the reservation to go get a payday loan because the the tribal cap, our tribe's cap is at 18% and it's been like that for over a decade. Um, but they would leave, get a loan in, in one of the larger cities and come back with, you know, and that you're driving over a hundred miles to go get a loan. Um, that's going to be, and the rates were on average 575%, 574. So they were just huge, and people just couldn't get themselves out of it. But uh, since since they capped it, I mean, and most of the lenders were out of state. Like a lot of them were based, like out of I saw a lot of Texas, um, and now they're just non-existent. Close up shop within two years, and they're gone. You can't even pay them. Like if you have old debt from them on people's credit report, it's hard to find somewhere to pay. Like, really, for some but of the, them. But it's... So. But but the accounts are still listed, so they're still liable, at least in terms of their credit report. It's still impacting their credit, right? Yep. It was you know we had to help one client just track them down, even though they they weren't even they didn't exist. So then then that's a whole nother that's a whole nother deal is helping people get that off their credit report. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was definitely I, I felt like it really was beneficial that the cap went into place because they were you know the average was five hundred seventy four percent, but I saw some that were over a thousand percent APR. You know it was just ridiculous. So what does that look like? I'm sorry, Kristen. So somebody paying a thousand percent APR. I mean, what does that look like in terms of like on a five hundred dollar loan? Like, what are those payments like, and what is it? What does it end up costing somebody when they finally pay that thing off? 
I, well, like a $500 loan, like you'll end up paying whatever you're paying, like a thousand dollars in interest for a $500 loan over, you know, over six months that that's kind of what it looks like. Um, it's, but people, when you go in for a loan, obviously a payday lending is not, not the ideal circumstance, but you're in a, you're in a crisis or you, you need cash, you know, like that's not, so you you don't really look at the numbers, even though it's clearly laid out how much you know with the laws um, that were passed in 2011 with the credit uh, the credit acts that all went through as far as like how lenders have to list their rates and everything must be very clear and it's big bold letters. But at that you know you're just not it doesn't matter what it is because you need to have the money then. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous and it's the sickening of what and once people sign that you know and then it's like every day it's costing you you know, $50 or whatever. And it's like, oh my goodness. that That's why I think that, you know, it's payday lending because you go get a loan on your payday. You get paid mm-hmm. and you get a loan the same day. <laughs> okay. But just, just for the sake of argument, just to take the other side of it. So these, these are short-term loans, right? Like two weeks. So uh, the idea is, and I think what some of these lenders would say is like, look, it's a, it's a short-term loan. It's two weeks. You get the loan. Yeah. The interest rate's high, but you pay it off as agreed in, in two weeks. And then that's it. And, and, and they're, you know, they're going to argue that it's not supposed to be a long-term loan. It's not supposed to be extended out and out and out. Um, do they have a point? Yeah, I think um, they, they do. If they, When you say it like that, I, when it passed, you know, there was a lot of, as far as like the pro against the, against the high interest rates, it's like 80% of payday loans are rolled over within 14 days. So it's supposed to be a 14-day loan, but it ends up, um, you can't pay it off in 14 days or it gets rolled into another one. So when these folks are writing these loans that, you know, like if you go to a credit union or a bank, uh, when they when they make a loan, I mean, their main focus is, can this person pay this back? Are they going to be able to pay us back in a reasonably amount of time? Um, when a person goes to a payday loan shop and that loan is underwritten, is the underwriter, are they taking that same approach? Like, we want to make sure this person can pay this loan off? Um, I, I guess like I've never worked at a payday lending institution, but uh, I would say no, like they don't confirm that the borrower can repay you know, they'll take a title or something as collateral and then um, and then that's that, you know, they don't, if they get the ACH where they can just pull them out of their accounts, like they're just going to take it and it doesn't really matter if they can afford to pay it or or not. Okay. Christina, I'd like you to chime in here. Uh, what's going on there in these payday loan shops when they, when they approve these loans? Are they thinking about whether or not this borrower can pay this loan in full in two weeks? Or are they intentionally making it, hoping that it just stretches out for this long time period so they can just keep racking up these interest charges? Yeah, no, the, the business model for many of them is exactly uh, to just roll those loans over. And if you think about it at, you know, a 500% interest rate, they will get their money back and then some before the borrower, you know, ends up just, just not even paying anymore. And most people that take these loans out really stretch to try to repay them. And, it, you know, they, they get in a cycle where they took this loan out because they needed to meet their bills, and now they have all those same bills plus this just mounting. And so it really is, as we talk about, the debt trap and debt cycle that people just get stuck in. Okay, so what happens if somebody takes out, say, a $500 loan, they can't pay it off, and, and they make these payments for, for months and months, and they end up paying like $800 or $900. They don't ever actually pay off. They still can't pay off the loan, but they've paid in way more than the original loan amount in interest. Well, eventually the payday loan company just take the money and say, okay, we're, that's good. We'll just let it go. Are they just going to continue to hound and hound and hound indefinitely? I mean, that's the practice that we've seen is they'll just keep keep collecting. Um, and again, that's that's why we refer to it as a, a predatory industry. We just don't 
don't think it has the you know the best interest of the borrower at heart. Folks, uh, we're learning all about payday loans today. We're learning about uh, new laws in New Mexico. We're also learning about what the the landscape is like in South Dakota. Uh, one of our guests, Kristen Stambaugh, she's with the Community Development Financial Institution in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. And uh, Eagle Butte, South Dakota, that's on the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation there. And uh, Community Development Financial Institution, sometimes you'll hear it abbreviated as a CDFI, but it's a non-depository financial institution. So they don't take deposits. You can't open up a bank account and uh, deposit a paycheck or something like that. But they do offer loan products. They offer loan services and other types of financial services. And uh, Kristen mentioned a credit builder loan that they offer as an alternative to a payday loan. We're going to learn more about that when we come back from this next break. So anybody with a question or a comment for today's show, we're talking about lending and uh, learning all about what are smart ways to lend, what are smart ways to borrow, excuse me, and um, everything that entails. So we'll be right back after this break. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The consumer finance industry and predatory loans are our focus today. Do you feel like payday loan businesses target your Native community? If so, why are they able to draw people away from banks, credit unions, and community development financial institutions who might offer less costly loans on more favorable terms? Call us at 1-800-996-2848 to share your insights. One of our guests, Kristen Stambaugh, is Director of Lending at a Community Development Financial Institution uh, on the Cheyenne River Reservation. And Kristen, before break, you mentioned that Cheyenne River has a, a tribal interest rate cap of 18%. Is that common, do you know, for, for tribes to set their own uh, regulatory uh, loan caps uh, on installment loans? Um, I I guess I'm not sure. Um, we've, I've been with Forbans for about 13 years, and um, it's just that's always been in place. So I just thought it was the normal thing for the tribes, <laughs> for the tribes to do. Um, they also have their own, like, UCC code. I know... Um, I guess I'd, I can't say for certain at any other what the caps would be at any other on any other reservations. Well, let's ask there Atza. Are any. Sure, I'd like to bring Atza back in. Atza, are you familiar with uh, any other tribal loan interest caps uh, in other tribal communities? In the state of New Mexico, I'm not aware of any at this particular time. I know that um, some uh, tribal nations do hold at 36 percent, especially for their veterans. All righty. Well, back to Kristen, and let's learn more about this credit builder loan product that uh, Forbans has. How, how does it work? How does somebody get this product as opposed to going to a payday lending shop? Okay. Um, well, it's not really an alternative to payday lending. It's more, um, there's a large, Forbans, we're a CDFI, so we are very uh, heavy-handed with like coaching, financial coaching, uh, and pairing it with our loan products. So uh, if somebody walks in and they decide, you know, I want to, 
I'm sick of I'm sick of being of you know things being like this and just I want to get out of this cycle of debt and relieve any financial stress. You know we uh, have them complete um, uh, at least six weeks of coaching before they can even apply for a loan because um, we really want to see have our clients to be committed to financial behavioral changes um, and if and have that build a connection with our coach and get that support because. Um, Behavioral change is hard, so, you know, we're just their accountability partner. And once they've completed that and, you know, we've identified their goals, they, we complete an action plan with them and go through their credit report them and decide, you know, what's going to make the most impact, you know, one on your credit score and then also on your household budget um, just to help you get ahead and, and make a plan. Um, then they'd apply for the loan. Our loans range, uh, on average, they're about $3,500. We do have a cap of $5,000. Um, if people need more than that, then usually they're just looking at, you know, refinancing in the future. It's just going to be a step-by-step basis. You know, if you if it takes five years to get into this amount of debt, it's going to take a little bit longer to, you know, get out. Not longer than five years, but longer than, you know, six weeks. Um, and then once they've got the loan with us, we report uh, monthly to the three credit bureaus, help them build up their credit so that they actually do have a credit, a credit file. Um, and then ideally, if their score, they have a, a good credit score, then they can go to the banks or to the credit unions and get better rates, you know, as far as like for a loan. So um, most of our clients have thin files, uh, thin credit files, they're called. And most of them do use a bank or a credit union already. So that's good. Now, if somebody does go to a, a, and get a payday loan, do, or do most payday lending shops, in, in your experience, do they report payment history to the credit bureaus? Is it a way to build credit through a payday loan? I've never seen, I've only seen the, the, the end product of the collections. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the active, you know, good payment history, just the, when they've gone bad and they're on collections on their account. So somebody doesn't benefit from get if they paid off on time as agreed they don't benefit from that uh, being reflected on their credit report. However, if they have a problem, that will end up on their credit report in terms of a collection or delinquency. It sounds like. Yes, that's what I've seen. Yep. Okay, and in your experience, Kristen, most of the folks that that are going for these payday loans, are they doing it because they just need money fast, or is it more um, because they might have credit issues and they can't qualify for a better loan? I think the initial is usually they need money fast. Like usually um, the the client that walks into the payday lending is probably not going to have, you know, $1,000 in the savings account set aside to be able to draw on for an emergency. So they're in a, an emergency situation. You walk in, you get the loan, and then if you can't dig yourself out with that first loan, like we talked about the 80% of loans are rolled over and that's the model, then you're stuck there. You know, unless you have a big influx or big, chunk of cash coming your way to pay and get out of that, then they kind of just get you in their snares. So, you know, you, you talk about the, the credit builder loan. It's not really an alternative. It's more a way to build credit. Um, so what are some other alternatives? I'm thinking of somebody listening to the show right now, and, and maybe they need a little bit of help to get through the month. Maybe they need $500. Maybe they need $600. Uh, they might not be up in South Dakota. They might not be near Eagle Butte, so they can't run to you, Kristen, and get one of these credit builder loans. I mean, what's what's your advice to somebody like that? Maybe they've got some credit challenges. Maybe they don't have a lot in savings, and they just need some quick some quick cash to get through. Um, I guess there are CDFIs in every state, so you know I would look up and see if there's a CDFI near them that they can 
go and um, talk with, see if they offer any uh, consumer products like that. Um, or the credit unions are a great option too. But like with, you know, with credit union or, or even CDFI, they're going to be looking at like, can you, can you repay this loan? You know, like, is this going to benefit you as far as getting you back on your feet? So um, I don't know if they would be like, up, you know, they probably would be approved, but, you know, setting up those, the terms just seem to be set up so that you can afford to pay that back and not get further into debt. Okay. And what about just a, a regular credit card or even maybe one of these secured credit cards where, where you put a little deposit down? Or, do you recommend those as an option? I think secured credit cards are great um, because then, you know, you can get a, sometimes you get a lower interest rate. Um, the same thing with a credit card, though, be just making sure that you can usually in emergencies, what spurs is what spurs a, a payday loan. Um, so if you're using it, then just making sure that it's, not just becoming it then a regular monthly bill that you're paying interest on for, you know, 16 years or whatever it may be. <laughs> okay. That's a good yeah. point to make. And, and Kristen, you, you mentioned FinTech, financial technology earlier, and, you know, all these mobile apps for direct payments. And there are also apps, you know, they, they call them peer-to-peer -peer lending, where you can actually go online and just find regular people out there who are, who are willing to loan money to other strangers through these platforms online, peer-to-peer -peer lending, you know, kind of this brave new world kind of approach. Are those viable options for folks? I, I think so. Um, I just was talking with a, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's a brand new FinTech and it's a partner. It's a company. One of the founders is um, at the University of Hawaii and they're doing um, like secured credit card. It's for building credit though, but, Secured credit card type, um, it's a, that type of a product, but you don't have a limit. So you would just put money into an account and then you can basically borrow up to that account. And then when your payments do, it takes the payment out. And you can be as young as 13 to sign up for that product with a parent to help build credit. Um, so there's a lot of alternatives, I think, that are stepping into the space of payday lending. Um, just with, the, with how FinTech is changing, it's changed so much in the last 12 months. Crazy. Absolutely. Folks, there's still time to, to get a call in. 1-800-996-2848. If you've got any questions uh, about borrowing today or if you've ever had an issue with a payday loan uh, and you want to talk about it, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Let's go back to Christina Fisher. And Christina, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between banks and, and credit unions because I know you talked a little bit earlier about credit unions and how they can really assist people. And one thing that that always kind of confuses me about banks, right? People say, oh, just go to a bank. Go to a bank, you can get a better deal. But, I mean, a bank might not offer a short-term high-interest loan, like a payday loan, but what they might do, what they can do, is they can charge you like a $35 overdraft fee if you overdraw your account to buy something like a $20 pizza. And, I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing as a payday loan? Yeah, there there have been a lot of, of issues with the banks, and I'm sure as, you, as you've seen, you know, in the in the news lately. So, um, I, I understand the sort of qualms that folks might have uh, with some of the sort of bank practices. Um, the difference uh, between banks and credit unions: um, banks are, are for-profit businesses, credit unions are nonprofit. So they have that community service sort of at the at the heart of their mission. And I think. One of the things that, that's been really interesting in, in working with them um, on the New Mexico effort is um, what we've heard from folks is, is one of the things that's been appealing about payday lenders is that 
they're so sort of easy and friendly, like they create an atmosphere that makes people feel welcome. And the credit unions have really been saying, how can we step up and do a better job at that? Because we want people to understand that we are trying to be a community service um, organization. We are trying to help people access essentially affordable, you know, savings and check cashing and loans and all of these things. And so, um, so as I said, the, the credit unions, I think, are an option folks should look at. I think people maybe dismiss them because they think they're just the same as banks, but they are, um, they are a different kind of organization. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because my experience, those businesses, I mean, they're really good at bringing people in the door. They got the, the neon signs and, the, you know, quick cash and you go in there and they've, they're giving out candy and things like that. And, and they definitely know how to market. And Atsa, I'd like to, to go back to you because, um, you know, my concern is that uh, we have a lot of Native people maybe who might not feel, you know, they, they may not feel comfortable going to a bank or maybe there's a bank that's you know, or even a credit union, they might be in a rural tribal community and they're far away from a mainstream financial services provider like a bank or a credit union. So what does the industry need to do to be more receptive and draw in more Native folks as customers? And I'm thinking specifically, Atsa, about banks and credit unions. Thank you. I, I think, you know, first of all, as, as tribal communities, I think we really need to look at um, providing some financial literacy for our communities so we kind of understand the dangers with some of these annual percentage rates. Um, sometimes you say that to people and they don't understand what that means. Um, so just educating our community on what some of these financial basics are, I think, is key and crucial. And as we look at tribal um, economies, this is something that uh, a lot of tribal communities could um, create partnerships with these credit unions in particular because they're on the same side of the table. You know, there was a, a good point made that these are not for-profit businesses. They really are like collectives of their um, members of those credit unions. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for diversifying our economies, educating our communities, and really creating a better pathway for our people to understand those financial basics and for our communities to partner with potential credit unions, because I think that would be something that would make a lot of sense. You know, um, when we go out to vote, they always have uh, stews and, and food and those types of things. So making them a lot more friendly and making this just normal knowledge that we talk about in our communities, I think would take us a long way. Um, and especially ed educating our youth. We have a lot of these um, youth centers, um, elder centers, community centers where we could be providing this information for our community. So it's not something that we're afraid to talk about. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, Jeff, listening in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jeff, hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, I had a quick uh, comment, actually. I used to, I just wanted to kind of stress um, the importance of uh, financial literacy. I know you guys have brought that up. I used to actually work in uh, the banking industry. I'm not going to say the name of the bank. Everyone here has heard of them. Um, but they briefly did get into the payday loan-esque game. Um, it was kind of a paycheck advance thing. Uh, the, we saw so many people get into the same kind of trouble as payday loans. It was almost worse in some ways because your personal bank account was already linked to this uh, paycheck advance uh, on top of it, like you mentioned, you'd be getting uh, overdraft fees. 
uh, people couldn't make their payment. Not only do they fall behind, they start getting, you know, $30, $40, $50, or whatever it was at the time, uh, overdraft fees on top of it. So I, I think it's great you guys are talking about financial literacy. I work uh, – I'm, I'm out of banking now. I work for a nonprofit that works with financial literacy training for vulnerable populations. So uh, I, I think it's great that you guys are stressing that. Even if you are going to a bank or a credit union as an alternative, you need to know your options You need because – like I said, even a, a big, well-known bank was not immune to being, you know, vaguely scam-esque in the same way that these payday lenders were. So I think it's, it's you guys are doing great work. I just wanted to say, uh, know your options, and even if you know the name brand of uh, an institution you're working with, um, they can still get you sometimes, unfortunately. Jeff, thanks for calling in with that insight. And Krista, I'd like to go back to you because this. You know, we're talking now about financial education, financial literacy, and I know that is a service that, that Four Bands Community Fund provides, and we do have about a minute before we have to wrap up the show, but I'd like to go ahead and give you the last word, Kristen, and tell us a little bit more about, you know, these financial education programs, these classes or workshops, whatever they are that um, enables folks to learn some of this information that, that is so important uh, that we're talking about today. Okay, um, well, in, I think that the strongest, Forbearance is a, what I feel like a very strong uh, financial literacy program, and um, you can have people go to classes and courses all day long, and, and, you know, they get the information, but where I feel like it really makes a difference is whenever you get paired up with, like, a coach, and you trust that person, and they help you explain the terms, and help you set goals and help you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, keep you motivated. Like that's where um, it's really impactful and helps people with that behavioral change or, you know, budgeting each month, um, setting up a budget each month, just going through the practice or tracking your spending to see where your money is going, seeing if, you know, if you're broke every month, you know, how, how can we help you fix that? Do you just simply not have enough money or are there areas that um, maybe we can, change some spending habits and help you be able to pay down your debt um, or setting a lot of our credit billers are people that are coming to for mortgages. So helping them get set up on the right track. And it's like a two year process to get through that so you can get ready to get a mortgage and own a home. So it, it really does come down to just that person, you know, the one on one contact with people to be able to um, explain it and help people get, a, get motivated to do it because a lot of times you don't have the family support uh, or your network personally, nobody knows how to budget or do this or do that. You don't have anyone to lean on. So we try to provide that space of like no judgment. Come here, you know, lean on us. We can help you. Um, we're not going to okay. do it for you. but Kristen, halfway, I'm sorry. We're, you know. we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap up the show. But but big thanks to our three guests today, Atza, Don Chavez, Christina Fisher, and Kristen Stambaugh for an enlightening discussion on payday loans and their impact on Native American consumers. Join us again tomorrow when we reflect on the life of Navajo student activist Larry Casus, who was killed in Gallup, New Mexico 50 years ago during an armed standoff with police. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com news. Program support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Probably Ruby by Lisa Bird Wilson, a novel about a Métis woman adopted by white parents who goes in search of her identity. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. This program is supported by AmeriCorps VISTA. You can kickstart your career by joining thousands of AmeriCorps members in the VISTA program serving to alleviate poverty. 
AmeriCorps members help organizations make change right in their own community. A service opportunity that fits your ambition can be found at americorps.gov vista today. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.